From the mind of a maniac. Eight horror stories that are interconnected either significantly or slightly and are all bundled into one gigantic collection. That's right, you get eight books for the price of one. Maniac on the Loose, The Nine Lives of Ski Mask, The Craving, The Caretakers, It Lives in the Attic, Goat Sucker, Spirit Stalkers, Hell is Full. All eight books for the price of one. Go to Amazon and search for From the Mind of a Maniac or go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. <laughs> I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood Maniac on the Loose. Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Box I'm a trucker. I haul cargo for a living. Over the years, I have picked up a reputation for having a no-questions-asked policy and being discreet. Because of this, I've hauled a lot of unusual and secretive items over the years. Some of the strangest items I've hauled were a bunch of radioactive cows, a huge vat of blood, and a bulky aircraft that was covered up, but I'm pretty sure it was a UFO. However, nothing compares to the cargo I hauled a few years ago. I was contacted by a government agency. This isn't too unusual for me. I've hauled a lot of cargo for the government in the past. I assume that's why they were comfortable with using me for this assignment. They explained to me that the item I'd be shipping needed to be refrigerated. I have a reefer truck, better known as a refrigerated truck, for just such freight. I've done countless refrigerated hauls, so this was no problem. They supplied me the address of the pickup location and a security code. The person I spoke with was very adamant when he told me not to go beyond the perimeter without the code. My GPS took me down a long, deserted dirt road. Once I got closer to the location, warning signs started popping up on the side of the road. Military Research Facility. Keep out. Use of deadly force authorized. The last sign I passed said, Restricted Area. Turn around now. The very second I went an inch beyond the sign, a swarm of military security descended upon me like locusts. Jeeps rushed in out of nowhere, impeding my path. Several security agents pointed rifles at me. I even saw a helicopter fly overhead. 
As a security agent started barking at me to get out of my vehicle and put my hands behind my head, I told him I had a security code. They asked me what it was and I told them. They all immediately relaxed. The jeeps pulled out of my way and one of the guards told me to continue on. I drove down the dirt road for another mile before I came to a guard station that resembled a fancy toll booth. It had a security barrier bar that was flanked by a dozen military men holding rifles. When I gave him my security code, the barrier bar lifted and I was escorted through the perimeter by two military police jeeps to a large facility. I followed them to the loading docks in the back of the building. One of the MPs got out of the jeep and instructed me to go to a specific loading dock. He said once I pulled up, they'd load up the cargo and I could be on my way. I've been doing this a long time and I never haul any cargo without seeing it be loaded onto my truck with my own eyes. If I'm going to be responsible for the cargo, first I have to make sure it is actually loaded. Second, I have no problem with someone else loading cargo on my truck. Hell, that makes life easier. A lot easier. But I have to be assured that it is properly loaded and secured before I'll haul it. I explained this to the guard. He seemed annoyed. I could tell that he wanted to argue with me about it, but he could see I wasn't going to budge on this, so he got on his walkie-talkie and radioed a supervisor. Within a few minutes, the supervisor showed. This guy was not military. He was small and kind of dorky looking. Thick black rimmed glasses, a greasy comb over, and he was wearing a lab coat. I told the guy, I don't care what it is, but if I'm responsible for this, I need to approve of how it's being loaded. The supervisor reluctantly agreed, and I watched them load a large wooden box into the back of my truck. The top of the box was hinged and secured with a heavy-duty digital combination lock. After they strapped it in to my satisfaction, the supervisor gave me another security code. He also handed me a GPS unit. He said to follow those directions and it would take me to the drop-off point. After he assured me that I wouldn't have any problems, he followed it up by saying, if you do run into an issue and you're closer to here than the drop-off point, call me. If you're closer to drop-off, call this number and give them your code. He handed me a slip of paper with a phone number on it. The last thing he said to me was, No matter what happens, for God's sake, do not open that box. According to the GPS unit, the travel time would be approximately 10 hours. The first 8 hours of the drive went smoothly. It was getting late, the sky was black and the highway was lonely. I was starting to run low on gas and there was a small truck stop off an exit ahead, so I stopped. The truck stop was still. Normally most truck stops at this time of night have trucks lined up out back as drivers nap. But not this one. And nobody else was at the pump either, so it was quiet. And that's when I heard it. It was a soft, pounding noise, followed by another. And then another. It definitely wasn't mechanical. It was definitely someone pounding on something. That's when I realized it was coming from inside the trailer of my truck. 
I grabbed a tire iron from the cab of my truck, undid the latch, and jumped up into the frigid trailer. There was a thin line of cold fog in the trailer, but I could see fine, and it was clear that the sound was coming from inside the box I was hauling. As I stepped closer to the box, the pounding stopped. I slowly pressed my ear against the top of the box and listened. I could hear a subtle moaning. I was then startled and jumped back as a loud pound thudded against the top of the box, and then again and again until I heard a snapping crack and the top of the box shattered and flew open. And then everything went silent. I had no idea what was inside the box, so I didn't dare go any closer, but from where I stood, I could partially see inside of it. I couldn't make them out well, but it seemed as though the box contained three large metal cylinders with dome tops. The lid on one of them was slightly ajar. For a split second, I contemplated moving forward for a better look. That thought was jettisoned from my mind when the top of the cylinder opened the remainder of the way. I immediately turned and ran. I could hear something crawling out of the cylinder behind me and thudding onto the floor of the trailer. I didn't dare turn back as I heard thumping footsteps chasing behind me. I jumped out of the back of the truck, slammed the doors shut, and locked them just as something slammed against the doors. Once it was clear that it couldn't get out, it began banging on the walls of the trailer. I called the number the supervisor gave me. I gave them my security code and explained to them what happened. The guy on the other end of the phone was panicked. He just told me to get there as fast as I could. I got into my truck and floored it the rest of the way, all while listening to something constantly banging away inside the trailer and occasionally letting loose with a loud, wheezing moan. The drop-off point was another obscure military location, not unlike the one I picked the box up from. There was no checkpoint for me this time. I was obviously expected and was emphatically waved through and escorted to the loading docks. The place was buzzing. Swarms of armed military officers took positions around the truck and readied their weapons. As I backed my truck up to the dock, the relentless pounding on the walls increased in severity, and there was a loud metallic crash as the doors of the trailer flung open. I could hear chaos outside. People were yelling and shooting commenced. I jumped out of my truck to see what was happening. I could hear the high-pitched, traumatic scream of someone near the back of the truck as several guards fired. I took refuge behind a line of guards, but inched my way as close to the back of the truck as I could to see what was happening. That's when I finally caught the first glimpse of what I was hauling. It was hunched over the body of a dead soldier and was chewing on his throat. A guard near me took aim and fired multiple shots. One of the shots hit the creature in the head. To my surprise, the creature wasn't hurt by the shot, but merely angered. The creature stared at the guard who shot it and stood up tall, finally giving me a clear view of exactly what it was. To my surprise, it was more of a man than a monster. A hulking, muscular, hairless man with frosty blue skin. This was a zombie. 
a big, strong, fast, ferocious zombie. Bullets kept hitting the zombie, but they weren't hurting it at all. They simply distracted it. If someone shot it in the back, it would wheel around to face them and take a few steps. If someone shot it in the side, it would turn and move toward them. That's when I realized that these guards knew exactly what they were doing. They weren't trying to kill it. They were moving it, directing it in the position they wanted it in. Once they got it into a clearing on the loading dock, one of the guards moved in close to the zombie, aimed a net gun at it, and fired. The zombie tried to move toward the man who fired the net, but got caught up in the netting and tumbled forward. Once down, several of the guards pounced on top of it. As they restrained it, I could hear them warn several times, Watch out for his teeth! Don't get bit! Once the guards were in full control, several of them turned and looked at me, realizing that I witnessed the whole thing. They quickly slapped handcuffs on me and took me away. They led me to an interrogation room and cuffed me to a metal table. I was in there for about an hour before two men entered. One was a scientist in a lab coat. The other appeared to be a high-ranking military officer. Before either could say a word, I asked if that was a zombie I just saw. The scientist nodded and explained. These zombies aren't like the slow-moving, decaying creatures you see in movies. They are fast, strong, and indestructible. In movies, if you destroy the brain, they die. In reality, that's nonsense. The only way they can be killed is via total incineration. However, they can be paused if their temperature is kept below freezing. When frozen, they go into a dormant state. They'll remain in that state until thawed. This gives us some control. The cylinders you hauled today kept them frozen. One of the cylinders in your load malfunctioned by no fault of your own. I kept shaking my head. Zombies. Real. Life. Zombies. I asked him if this zombie I saw today rose from the dead. This caused the scientist to chuckle. <laughs> no, that's another bit of nonsense. The dead aren't coming back to life like in the movies. The disease that causes someone to become one of these creatures is spread through being bitten by the infected. That part is true, provided the bite in question is not fatal. I asked them what they intended to do with these things, and that's when the military officer stepped forward and spouted off some demented plan, saying once they get full understanding on how to control the zombies and effectively utilize them, they will have an unbeatable army. I couldn't believe how short-sighted these people were. I kind of blew my top and shouted at them for not being able to see that eventually this will blow up in their faces and could lead to the end of the world as we know it. Of course, that was a big mistake. I could hear the military man snap at the scientist. I told you this was a waste of time. He pulled a gun from his holster and took a step toward me. But the scientist pleaded for him to stand down and the military officer lowered the gun. The scientist looked at me and gave me an ultimatum. You have two choices. Join us, or die. Not much of a choice, so I joined them. 
and I've been hauling these creatures around for them the past three years. I must say, they did pay me quite well, and everything was going rather smoothly until about an hour ago. One of the cylinders in my load malfunctioned, and the zombie got out and bit me. No one ever told me how long it takes to change into one of these things after you get bit. I can feel it flowing through my veins. I suspect it won't be much longer. Creepy phone calls. Doctor needed. I'm a female and I was 28 when this happened. Back in the 1990s, I worked as a customer service agent for a company that helped people find doctors. The way it worked was the person would call our 800 number, we'd take some basic information from them, and then we'd find out what kind of doctor they needed to see and why. We'd enter all the information into a computer and a list of choices would come up. We'd go over the list with the caller and they would choose the doctor that they thought would be best for their needs. In this line of work, it wasn't uncommon for us to get crank calls. A lot of it was from kids doing stupid jokes like, Is John there? No? Then where do you go to the bathroom? Sometimes we'd get heavy breathers and some random pervert who would just rattle off some dirty sexual stuff and then hang up. But once in a while, I'd get some genuinely creepy calls. Let me tell you about the creepiest one I ever got. It was getting late in the day and nearing the end of my shift. I was tired and was looking forward to going home and having a nice dinner. After that, maybe I'd watch some TV or curl up with a good book. Unfortunately, I had time to take one more call. I answered the next call and it was a man with an unusually deep voice. We went through all the basic information and then I asked him what kind of doctor he needed. He said he wasn't sure, so I asked him what kind of problem he was having. My problem is that when I see a woman I like, I never approach her. I just follow her around. I find out where she lives, where she works, what she likes to do. I watch her. When I watch her, I fantasize about doing things to her. I suggested to him that a psychiatrist would likely be the type of doctor that may be able to assist him best. He seemed receptive to this and asked if I'd help him find one in his area. In order to find doctors near them, we have to get the caller's address, so I asked him for his. 316 Miller's Crosswinds, Denver, Colorado, apartment 412. My jaw dropped and I felt like I was in a state of shock. That was my address. As I searched for a way to respond, he said, See you tonight, and hung up. 
I must have been as pale as a ghost because the girl sitting next to me seemed extremely concerned and asked me what was wrong. I told her what happened. She urged me to tell our supervisor. I took her advice and told my supervisor what happened. He gave a call to the police. They said there wasn't much they could do and tried to assure me that it was probably just someone trying to scare me and not to worry about it too much. They said they would have a patrol car make extra rounds through my neighborhood that night. I lived alone. I didn't have any family nearby, and at the time I was single, so I didn't have anyone readily available to come to my apartment with me. Fortunately, my supervisor was really nice, and he said he would follow me home to make sure that everything was okay. When I pulled up to my apartment complex, I could vaguely see someone standing in the bushes near the front door. As my headlights brightened the area, the person ducked down behind the bushes so they couldn't be seen at all. When my supervisor got out of the car, I told him that I thought there was someone hiding over there. My supervisor took a few aggressive steps forward and barked out at the person. Hey, I see you behind those bushes. What are you doing over there? The bushes rustled and the person emerged in a panic and hurried away. I don't know if that was the man who called or not, but I was freaked out. My supervisor recommended that I stay over at a friend's house that night, so I did. The deep-voiced man never called me again, but I wasn't comfortable living in that apartment anymore and moved in with a friend a few weeks later. Creepy phone calls. I see you. I'm a female. When this happened, I was 15. It was a weekend and my parents and my younger brother had gone to the movies. I was a bit of a nerd and voluntarily stayed home to work on a school paper. It was around 8.30 p.m. and I was sitting in our living room which had a large bay window. I was working on my paper when the phone rang. I got up and answered it. The voice on the other end spoke in a whisper, but I could tell it was a man. He said, I see you, and then hung up. This was back in the 1980s, well before the cell phone days. If someone were on their phone actually watching me, they would have to be in a nearby house. The bay window curtains were open, so I got up and looked outside. We had a neighbor directly across the street. They had twin teenage boys named Charlie and Fred. They went to the same high school as me, but they were a couple years older. They were both jocks and always seemed like really friendly kids to me. This didn't seem like the kind of thing I would expect them to do. Even so, my initial thought was that it was probably them fooling around, so I shut the bay window curtains. I started working on my school paper again. About 20 minutes later, the phone rang. I answered it. It was the same whispery voice. I see you. I told whoever it was to leave me alone and hung up. The phone immediately rang again. I picked it up. I see you. Is this Charlie or Fred? Now that the jig was up, I expected them to laugh, but they didn't. There was an angry tinge to their voice. Neither. They hung up. 
I moved to the bay window and looked outside. Across the street, I could see Charlie and Fred sitting on their front porch. Their light was on so I could see them well. They were just talking to each other and laughing. Then the phone rang again. This confirmed that it was neither of them. I answered. The whispery voice spoke. I see you. At this point, I was getting scared, and I yelled at the voice on the other end of the phone. What do you want? His voice sounded so sinister when he spoke. I want to be inside of you. Right after he said the obscenity, I heard something over the phone line. It was a loud metallic bang as though he accidentally knocked something over. At the very same time, I heard the same exact noise coming from upstairs. That's when it dawned on me that my dad had a second phone line upstairs in his office. These calls were coming from inside my house. I ran to the front door. I had a hard time undoing the chain lock, but I finally did and ran into my front yard screaming. Once I reached the sidewalk, I turned around and I could see the silhouette of somebody in the upstairs window. I started freaking out. Charlie and Fred ran over from across the street to see what was wrong. I told them there was an intruder in my house. The twin boys were both athletic and pretty tough. They didn't hesitate to run into the house and try to find the guy. They said they saw him run out the back door and hop over our back fence. Had it been anybody other than the twins chasing this guy, he probably would have gotten away. But Charlie and Fred chased him down. They tackled him, roughed him up a bit, and then kept him restrained while their parents called the police. It turns out the creepy calling intruder was a boy named Derek who was in my grade. He was in a couple of my classes, but I didn't know him much at all. He was very quiet and kept to himself. But I did remember looking up and catching him staring at me on more than one occasion. Apparently, he was extremely forthcoming when the police questioned him. He explained that his plan was to rape me and then kill me. He was sent to a psychiatric hospital for teens. I never saw Derek again after that and never knew what happened to him. But last night, I got a phone call. When I answered, I heard a familiar voice. I see you. The Clockwork Elves DMT DMT is short for dimethyltryptamine. It's considered to be one of the most intense psychedelic hallucinogens in the world today. Some people claim that DMT can unlock access to another dimension. There are people who swear that while under the influence of DMT, they have experienced other beings, commonly known as the Clockwork Elves. The Clockwork Elves Trip 
Number one. I'm known as a guy who likes to do drugs. My preferred drugs of choice are hallucinogens. I've done a lot of mushrooms, LSD, PCP, and peyote. In 2019, I was introduced to DMT from a friend of mine who was in med school. He had never taken DMT himself, but had heard that this stuff was supposed to take you on a trip unlike any other. I've had some hardcore trips in my day, so this piqued my curiosity. I was itching to try it. There are a myriad of ways to take psychedelic drugs, but in my experience, smoking them gives the most bang for the buck. I like to trip in my living room. It's painted a deep orange color that helps me to relax and clear my mind. I inhaled the DMT and almost immediately felt like I was transported to another location. I was looking into a strange room with jagged stone walls. It was as though there was a transparent, shimmering curtain between me and the room, similar to the wavy distortion one sees above a hot asphalt road or the roof of a car on a scorching day. In the center of the room I can see an oval brick-red door. I saw the doorknob turning, but the door wasn't opening. It gave me the impression that the door was stuck. I was anxious to see what was going to come through that door, but I was suddenly whisked away and woke up in my living room. When I opened my eyes, I felt unsettled, as though I was watching a movie and was eager to see that next scene, only to have the projector break. I was tempted to smoke more DMT and try to get back to that stone-walled room, but I have a rule about not tripping more than once in a day, so this was going to have to wait until tomorrow. The Clockwork Elves Trip Number 2 I'm not going to get into what my job is, it's irrelevant to this story anyhow, but let me just say that the next day was the longest day of work I've ever experienced. All I could think about was my next trip. I was both antsy and worried, antsy to start my next trip, but worried that I wouldn't be able to find that room again. As soon as my shift was over, I sped home, ran to my living room, and lit up. As was the case with my first trip, the effects were immediate. Again. I could see that shimmering heat curtain, but this time I was observing my very own living room through it. Then I started looking closer at my immediate surroundings and recognized the jagged stone walls and the red oval door. In my previous trip, I was looking at the room. This time, I was in the room. I could hear the doorknob jiggling, followed by the heavy thud of something pounding on the other side of the door, trying to get it unstuck. Suddenly the door burst open. I wasn't prepared for what I was seeing. I cowered away backwards until I could feel the sharp wall pressing against my back. The creature was short and stocky. Its skin tone was shiny and reflective, like a kitchen knife. It had a large round head that was encircled by small spikes. It was similar to that of an enormous clock gear. Its ears reminded me of an elephant's ears, but much thicker. 
The creature had inquisitive eyes that were constantly shifting around. I watched in a daze as the creature meandered around the room. Then, as it turned around, I could see the shock within its eyes. It could see me as well as I could see it. I could not make out a mouth on the creature, but I could hear its voice clear as anything. It didn't sound angry or even irritated when it asked me what I was doing there. It seemed curious. I explained how I took DMT and then arrived there. This didn't seem to register with it. I apologized for any intrusion and told it that I would likely be leaving soon. It communicated that it didn't mind me being there because I seemed peaceful and innocent. It went on to explain that it had experienced others of my kind, many of which observed them as if they were a novelty like an animal in a zoo. Then everything went black and I opened my eyes to find myself back in my living room. The Clockwork Elves, Trip Number 3 I called in sick to work the next day. I couldn't wait any longer to get back to the room and speak with that creature again. I took a deep inhale of DMT and was relieved to find myself in the jagged stone room once more. This time, I wasn't alone. There were three school desks in the middle of the room. Each desk was occupied by a grown man. They were all dressed in military fatigues and had similar short-cropped haircuts. In the corner of the room was a man wearing a lab coat. He was holding a clipboard and was constantly jotting down notes. When the creature entered the room, the men in the desks all started bombarding it with questions. They were trying to learn as much as they could about the creature and its world. I could feel the creature's sense of aggravation. It spoke to me and me only when it pointed out that these were the types it was not fond of. It said that they were showing up more frequently and had an agenda. They were trying to figure out a way to manipulate the creature for their own purposes. The creature explained to me that it was a peaceful entity, but that there were others of its kind that were malevolent. The malevolent ones would take advantage of these people. They would promise them power and enlightenment beyond their wildest imaginations if they could discover a way to bridge our two worlds. Apparently the humans were getting close to achieving just that. The creature didn't go into specifics, but was explicit when it told me that this would be catastrophic for the world that I lived in. Somehow I was able to tap into the emotion of the creature and I became angry. I stomped over to the scientist and knocked the clipboard out of his hand. I screamed at him to leave the creature alone and just enjoy it rather than trying to find a way to benefit from it. Then I woke up in my living room. I haven't visited the jagged stone room again. Believe me, I've tried. Countless times, but I can't find it. And ever since that day, I feel like I'm being followed and that I may be in danger. Perhaps I'm just being paranoid. Maybe that's an after-effect of the DMT. At least, I hope that's all it is. The Clockwork Elves Research Experiment 
Number 742 My name is Dr. Evan Wallace. I'm the lead scientist for a top-secret government experiment simply referred to as Research Experiment Number 742. The experiment deals with the effects of DMT. Many of the subjects that were administered doses of DMT described encounters with beings not of this Earth. At first, we assumed these experiences to be nothing more than vivid hallucinations. That is, until countless subjects described the exact same beings. All of these descriptions were taken immediately upon their return from the DMT experience. None of the subjects talked to each other before describing their encounters. It was then that we began to entertain the possibility that DMT was temporarily transporting the users to a different dimension. It wasn't long before we realized that we could communicate with the beings within the alternate world. I myself have taken the DMT trip multiple times and observed others communicating with the creatures. Some of the creatures seem standoffish and want nothing to do with us. Some are quite friendly and assure us enlightenment beyond our wildest imagination if we can just find a way to bridge our two worlds. We're getting close. Very close. It won't be long now. Yesterday, during the daily DMT trip, we encountered something unusual. Another human. He was a long-haired hippie type. He had the nerve to bark at me, telling us to simply enjoy the creature instead of trying to benefit from it. Fool. Somehow this person found a way in, too. Not long ago, we were able to create a device that records our DMT experiences. Through that recording, we were able to obtain a face recognition profile on the hippie. His name is Matthew Anthony. Nickname, The Ant. He appears to be an acid head. He works a menial job so as to have enough money to pay his rent, feed himself, and trip out. Somehow he got his hands on some high-quality DMT and found the same dimension we were able to tap into. We couldn't give him the opportunity to share this knowledge with anybody else. Matthew the Ant, Anthony, was terminated this morning. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Be sure to visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for the free newsletter and receive a free book and movie. We'll see you soon. Very soon.